house. No, the right no, house. I did it. Get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. Anywhere in the world, someone could look up and see exactly what I saw. To everyone else, it was just a light in the sky. Let them have outer space. We got rock and roll. But to Homer Hickam, it was the future. Sputnik is a milestone in history. And just maybe a way out. College scholarships for winning a science fair? I'm going to build a rocket. You better take an interest in your own town. Just don't blow yourself up. Night. Hey, should we keep behind something? Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that truly appreciates James Spader's erotic era. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we're here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Joe Reed. I'm here, as always, with my favorite rocket boy, Chris File. Hello, Chris. A rocket boy on the way to becoming a rocket man. <laughs> I'm excited to talk about the rocket boys. Did you know uh, that rocket boy is an anagram for October Sky? I did not know. Do you about know that. how they got that anagram? No, I didn't. It was from one of those like Windows 95. Like you put in a phrase and then it mixes it up, and then get out of here. It came up Rocket Boys one time. Which Is there like anything Windows 95 could not do for us. Like I don't truly. know. I mean, we are a podcast that was inspired by the Maze screensaver. Do you remember <laughs> the Maze screensaver? I do. I remember. I probably had experience with all of those screensavers at one time or another. I was very much into like constantly changing the screensavers to like reflect my mood at the time so yeah um i don't know how to segue from windows 95 into our guest but like i'm just gonna stumble bum on through it because i'm very excited to welcome our guest for this episode we will be talking about october sky and uh at the request of our special guest this week uh she is the senior entertainment writer at thrillist formerly of uh, the atlantic wire where she and i worked together and had such a wonderful time she's also the author of the upcoming book beyond the best dressed about uh Oscar Fashions that is going to be available on February 1st. Esther Zuckerman, welcome to this head Oscar Buzz. Yay, I'm so excited. Um, I was I'm like, very excited. I've been wanting to join you guys for a while, and I'm very excited to talk about this movie, which is like bizarrely formative for me. Um, I love that. As soon as you said that this was formative for you, I was just like, well, now we have to talk about it because, like, those are the We're best. We're definitely all of a generation that we watched this in some, like, school setting right like this was wheeled in on the tv for us I, uh, I was already in college by then so i wouldn't have been uh but it does seem like a perfect this wasn't on wheel your it in. i i i feel like this is a perfect wheel it in and and it, even if it doesn't have anything to do with what you're talking about in class just like on a day where the teacher just wants to show a movie <laughs> and of i thing, was of that generation but i actually saw this in theaters weirdly. amazing yeah i'm pretty That's sure fantastic. i did too I was trying to think of like what my awareness of who was in the movie at the time would have been because obviously this is pre Donnie Darko by a couple of years. So like I didn't like 
I guess I, if you would have said, oh, Jake Gyllenhaal was the son in City Slickers, I would have been like, oh, yeah. But like, it, <laughs> the, it didn't really have any recognition for me. I knew who Laura Dern was because, of course, Jurassic Park. And also because I, as a weird little uh, Oscar boy, was like, oh, right, Best Actress nominee for Rambling Rose, Laura Dern, of course. Um, and then Chris Cooper, as I want to sort of talk about later on. This was kind of a breakthrough year for him. He had been in like Lone Star and certain other things, but this was the same year as American Beauty. So this felt like a big, you know, uh, but American Beauty wouldn't be for another uh, several months. So October Sky just sort of was sold on its premise, I feel like, which is like a cool, uh, a cool thing because it was very like obviously nostalgic and, you know, these like fresh faced high schoolers. you know, making rockets and stuff like that. So I imagine it had a lot of appeal for you if you were in junior high, high school. How young? How young are we talking? I was nine, <laughs> so I was a <laughs> I was a very You're... small child. Um, I actually saw this movie originally because my dad is poker buddies with Louis Kolick, who wrote the movie. So oh, wow. I'm Amazing. pretty sure we saw, we might've even gone to some sort of screening of it, but it was definitely a movie that I think my parents felt like, Oh, they can, we can take a nine year old to see this. Cause there's like going to be absolutely like nothing really offensive in it at all. Right. PG. Um, yeah, totally. Cause yeah. I was thinking about this Oscar year and I was like, I did not see like most of the movies. Except for, randomly, Cider House Rules. Randomly, my parents took me to see the Cider House Rules when I was nine years old. I don't know why. <laughs> That's um, fantastic. Like, a lot of questions were asked, I believe, sure. after seeing that movie. I imagine so, yes. <laughs> you saw the Cider House Rules, but not The Sixth Sense? Yeah, well, I was a scaredy kid. So I was oh, okay. like, I was so scared of The Sixth Sense. But, like, I saw The Cider House Rules, but, like, I didn't see, I obviously did not see, like, Girl Interrupted or American Beauty when I was nine years old. Um, But so I saw this movie and I got, I just remember it being, like, one of the first times, like, maybe not one of the first times, but I just was obsessed with it afterwards. And I, shortly after, like, I had an assignment that was, like, re like read a biography and then do a presentation and so i read rocket boys the book it was based on and i did a presentation dressed up as homer hickam which i'm pretty sure just meant like flannel and like some makeup right like i'd been in like a coal mine <laughs> plaid shirt face. and slacks yeah um, right but oh I my god like, but i just remember it being like this moment of like a movie that for whatever reason, I don't know if it was like young Jake Gyllenhaal was so cute. I was so inspired as like a little kid. But I, it was just like, oh, I have to like, I'm, I'm going to throw myself into this. And this will be like a cool, pro- like a cool biography for my project that no one else is doing. <laughs> Which was very I true. love that. I love that. And so what <laughs> did you go through then a little bit of like a, like a, science or engineering phase or was it just like i'm going to express myself by dressing up as jake Jones no yeah it wasn't like i was never like a science i like well that's actually not true like i was sort of a science like like when i was very young and i didn't realize that science had to do with like math um which this movie covers (laughs) i did go through like a bit of a science phase but i was never like oh my god i like want to be an astronaut or whatever sure it was more just like The movie really did it for me. Maybe it was like the period piece on it. And and actually, now that I'm like remembering the release date, because it was released in February, I was eight. I was not nine yet. (laughs) So I was I was eight years old. 
It reminds me of when I was a lot younger, I would I was really into TV shows and movies about lawyers, which like they're <laughs> everywhere, right? And yeah. so for a while there, you I were a few good men pilled is why. 100% true. And so I remember every once in a while, like an adult would be, you know, I would be talking about some movie that I liked about lawyers or whatever. And an adult would be like, which do you want to be a lawyer when you grow up? And and I would be like, yeah. And then finally I got old enough and I realized that like, oh, I don't want to be a lawyer. I want to be a lawyer on TV. Like, you know what I mean? Like I want to be, I want to be a lawyer in a movie. And then finally I realized it's like, oh no, I just want to like, I want to, I want to work somewhere within uh, television and movies. Like that's that's what it is. That's what it. That's that's the attraction. So because the more you learn as you get older, especially when you start looking into like colleges and stuff like that, and you're just looking, it's just like, oh, studying law is a lot of drudgery. Yeah, <laughs> and it's sort of. Like I don't want to do that. The science stuff. It's like, oh, there's math involved. No, I want to make like... Jack Nicholson admit he ordered the code red. Like that's the fun part. Yeah. That's the like. Yeah. Okay. All right. I got it. Um. I so, feel like this makes this movie though makes sense as like one of those early obsessions, Esther. Because like if you're people like us, like of course I think you're gonna have a relationship to this movie if you're like around our age group because it feels very much like one of those movies that's like a bridge to adult things yes, and definitely. like adult movies that like I think a lot of people around this time can relate to this movie being one of those. A hundred percent. It was definitely an, a movie that I saw, like obviously as I, I didn't think my parents took me to see like a lot of adult things like at to various points. It's the Cider House Rules for some reason um, is one that. of them. Yeah. But like it definitely felt like, okay, like, I'm a grown-up seeing this movie. Like, this is a movie, like, it's a period piece. It's serious. It's not, like, pandering to kids at all. So I think that was, like, I think that did have, like, a big part of one of the reasons that, like, when I saw it the first time, I was, like, obsessed with it. Well, it's also about kids wanting to be taken seriously by yeah. adults to something, yeah. too. And, like... God, I totally related to that kind of a thing when I was a kid. It's just like I was always the kid who wanted to have like grown-up conversations at family parties and stuff like that. So, <laughs> yeah. and I always liked the relatives who like treated me like a grown-up, like who would like not, you know, sort of talk down to me. So, yeah, that that definitely related. So then from this point did you, were you sort of like, all right, I'm locked in on Hall then? Like it I wasn't this is one of my even guys. Really. It was so like, my interest in this movie, I'm realizing now, like, when I saw it for the first time, was really disconnected from, um, like, who was in it or anything. I mean, I was eight, like, and I definitely did yeah. have, like, interests in celebrities at the time. Like, I definitely, yeah. I was going to say, you know, we talk, like, not to jump ahead, but, like, you like you were asking me earlier about, like, or we were, when we were talking about this episode, like, the Oscar origin story, like, I remember, like, my first time really and I actually write about this in my book which is that like my first time sort of like thinking about the Oscars was the day after the 98 but took place in 99 so probably right like, so we're just around this time when this movie was coming out yeah yeah um, yeah Oscars like I remember in like the computer lab at school with a pen and paper like drawing Gwyneth's pink dress Oh wow! <laughs> Amazing. Like just being absolutely obsessed with that dress, which is so like fairy tale, pretty pink type of thing. Right. Um, right. 
I'm a girl that contained multitudes. I loved the pretty pink dress, and I also dressed up in flannel for this project. Um, but, like, so I definitely, like, had an awareness of celebrity. But I think, like, Hall for me didn't click later. I think because, like, after this, um, I was – when, like, Donnie Darko came out, I was, like, as I said, I was a real scaredy kid, and that seemed too scary for me. <laughs> sure, of course. Um, I So, like, I tried to – like – I it wasn't like Dylan Hall or anything like that. There was just something about it was I think it was like the what you were talking about before, like the adult feeling, the inspirational feeling. Um, yeah, totally. Really, really. That was what really sort of like spoke to me. So, first of all, I love that for your Oscars origin story, too. Yeah. Like, that, that 98 Oscars, I feel like, is one of the ones that kind of recurs when we talk to people um, about Oscars. I think that Shakespeare in Love, Saving Private yeah. Ryan sort of face-off was big. And and I think it makes total sense to me that, like, Gwyneth Paltrow, especially in that, like you said, that, like, beautiful princess pink dress, like, would have jumped out at you that young. You know what I yeah. mean? Because it's just, like, it's very easy to read that narrative, even when you're a kid, of just, like, oh, she's, like, the beautiful princess who's getting, you know, everything she ever wanted. Like... Yeah. That was the storyline. Because now I'm looking at, like, the Jake, Jake, like, Jake's, which I'm sure we'll get into later. And it's, like, for me as a kid, like, sort of in that era, like, he didn't really click for me again until Brokeback Mountain. Like, I was aware of him, but it was, mm-hmm. like, stuff like, you know, I definitely had not seen Lovely and Amazing or The Good Girl. <laughs> like, right. you know, and, you know, again... Even though I was like older at that point, the day after tomorrow still scared me. <laughs> <laughs> well, those wolves, my God. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like then, but then Brokeback Mountain was like the next time I was like, okay, like this is somebody I'm paying attention to. Totally. He's somebody who definitely had like phases of breakout. Like, and even he's, his is a really interesting career actually to think about because it's, we've sort of conceptualized him differently at different stages of his career. hundred percent. Like, and now we're sort of in this kind of uh post Oakja stage where it's just like, he'll show up <laughs> on like the, the um, John Mulaney and the sack lunch bunch and just be like a really like weirdo. He's like <laughs> a fun Music. weirdo. right? Yes. Oh, God, but I it also that. feels like he's, like starting now again to like swing back into like I want to be like an action star type of thing like or right or big like because it's like he has that he has this year he has that like Michael Bay movie There's, ambulance like, ambulance what if you know not to steal what if there was an ambulance one of the David movies Sims, of the year but, ambulance <laughs> what if there was an ambulance but exactly like, you know he see and there was something else that was announced too that seemed like oh you're just like like you're going hard into this like sort of like much like one like circling back into like from weirdo to like macho because even when he was in uh the spider-man movie he was sort of playing a sort of like weirdo jake gyllenhaal phase version of you know a character from i mean he was so good like it was oh it was great it was so good because it was like you know, when he makes that turn in that movie and gives that big speech, it's like, oh, you're just being a weirdo again. Amazing. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's interesting that he's sort of revisiting uh, action star phase because that was, if you could say that there was any phase of his career that was a bit of a failure, it was that. It was Prince of Persia, you know. Yeah. 
um, almost when he was almost Spider-Man, that sort of just like he never really got uh, like even day after tomorrow, which is this big sort of action epic. The reviews, which were mostly negative, even though I think there's a streak of appreciation for that movie that I like because, like, I enjoyed that movie. Um, but there was a lot of just like, well, Jake Gyllenhaal isn't, you know, can't really carry a movie like this. And well, because and he's still sense. in this like awkward growing stage where he's like, you know, playing a lot of like awkward, pseudo creepy fuckboys to older actresses. <laughs> yes, totally. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking a lot about like his watching October Sky, how he I mean, he's such a baby in this movie. Like I know. That little haircut he, too. I was just like, it, that's the like Yeah, best, he has my nephew's haircut. haircut right now and my nephew is six years old. Um <laughs> But I will say, like, he is such a baby in this movie, but, like, I was kind of struck by the performance rewatching it in that, like, it is kind of this distillation of, like, what his screen presence is 100%. when he's not being a weirdo. Um, and he's, even at this young age, an incredibly watchable actor in yes. this kind of straightforward totally. drama. I kept, I actually kept thinking about Brokeback Mountain, too, possibly because of the accent. Um, yeah. Yeah. That, like... There's a lot, there is that, there is sort of like an element where you can trace that again, and it's really weird. Sorry, I have to cough. <coughs> okay, I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> no, I totally agree with, and also the fact that this movie was the same year as Varsity Blues, which I thought about because there's so many of these scenes that kind of walk up to the doorstep of him telling Chris Cooper his dad. I don't want your life. I don't want your life. And I was just like, and it's just like the comparison. Coleman's your life. It's not mine. Playing football at West Canaan may have been the opportunity of your lifetime, but I don't want your life. Of how good Gyllenhaal is playing that kind of a uh, uh, angle versus how, <laughs> I mean, not to like shit on James Vanderbeek, like he's been through enough, but like Vanderbeek's not, you know, winning any, you know, uh, awards for his performance in, in Varsity Blues. I don't think that's being too controversial to say that, but uh Yeah. I did want him to say it in this. I did want him to tell Chris Cooper, I don't want your life. I don't want your life in the mines, Diet. Um, Should we get into the plot description then? Well, before we do, I do want to talk to Esther about her book really quickly because I don't yes. want to get too far down More the road that. before we get to address it because I'm very excited for this book, Esther, Beyond the Best Dressed. Uh, tell us all about it. Yeah, so it is a sort of cultural history of Oscar fashion. Um, I think you you get a lot of sort of Oscar fashion retrospectives that are just sort of boiled down into like, these are the best outfits and these are the worst outfits, you know? And um, this is sort of, it's it's illustrated. It's a series of essays. The illustrations by Montana Forbes are actually absolutely gorgeous. But in each sort of essay, I'm looking at like, what the person wore, what the woman wore mostly, um, and yeah. how it, you know, basically like the statement it makes in the sort of, sort of socio-political context of Hollywood. So this idea that like when people boil down like red carpet, red carpet fashion can say a lot, like basically the idea yeah. that, you know, this is the most basic example, but obviously, you know, 
you have to include like Bjork, for instance. I, um, she's always <laughs> at the front of my mind when I think of Oscar yes. fashions. Yeah, and totally. this idea that it was so immediately sort of cast off as like, well, that's ridiculous. That's bad. Like everyone's making yes. jokes about it. Like they're making jokes at the literal ceremony when it takes place. Like the, it's already, you know, the right. same ceremony. It's already worked into the sort of routines. Um, of the hosts, but like the idea that sort of this idea that sort of came about, like when she was there, that she wasn't in on the joke, which she absolutely was. Like you read anything yeah. with her, and she yes. knew what she was doing. She knew what sort of, and it's like, and it's the weird sort of dichotomy of the fact that she was wearing this dress for like being nominated for the song from Dancer in the Dark, which is like the most depressing movie ever. Right, <laughs> right. And then she doesn't even take it off to sing the song, to sing right. this, like, dirge. Um, yes. So sort of, like, looking at things in that context, like, you know, even – I actually have two examples from the 1999 Oscars, which is this year, 19, the 2000 ceremony. Right. Um, and one is Angelina Jolie, because I sort of talk about, I, like – Of course. Yeah, and I sort of – the Angelina Jolie chapter is sort of about two two phases of Angelina Jolie, one in 2000 and one in – when she comes out sort of like in this Morticia Adams gown yes. and the other in, in 2012, which was the famous leg dress. The leg. And of how you can sort of like look at this changing idea of her own celebrity through these two outfits. Like she comes off, like she's so sort of like lithe and loose in the 2000 episode, like dress. And obviously it's the kiss and all of these things. And then, right over time you see this per this celebrity that was once sort of seen as unexpected who like wouldn't you know you can't predict what she's gonna say she's a wild card turns into the most sort of like stiff manicured like you do not get near me untouchable celebrity by 2012 right. when she's sort of stepping out in that dress and it's all in like the outfit is all pose which like is exactly what she is she's like a statue she's like a you know, a goddess. Um, it's kind of insane to think of the sort of that version of Angelina Jolie, the sort of very statuesque. Yeah. Um, and also just sort of like uh, United Nations ambassador, uh, Angelina Jolie with the 99 year. I know it wasn't that red carpet where she and Billy Bob Thornton had the whole, like we fucked in the car. <laughs> when no. we got here. Like, but that was the same the kind of general. Blood, the Angelina file of blood, Angelina Jolie. I mean, it's like, yeah. you know, she, yeah. you know, when she's before, when she married Johnny Lee Miller and they wore like their t-shirts with blood on, like with right. written in blood on it. And it's like, she's this, and it's the kiss. Like the kiss was obvious. The thing with her brother, obviously, you know, that was the dominant narrative after that Oscar ceremony, which is basically like, uh, is she like having an incestuous relationship with her brother? And, right. you know. And it fit the roles that she was taking at the time too, right? Where it's exactly. like Girl Interrupted and Gia and all these sort of like, she was the wild child. Girl Interrupted is like exactly who you think, like, I mean, it's a great performance, obviously. Yes. But like, it's also, it that movie plays into such a narrative of like who this person was at that time. Like you think of her right. as like, unstable like which you know you thought of her as that as that character a little bit so then when she comes mm -hmm. out on the red carpet you're like oh well this yeah. makes sense you know <laughs> well and then it's like it's red carpet then just an extension of her performance of celebrity yeah and well, I, think, I think that's fascinating I yeah love that. mm -hmm. and i think you get into that like earlier like i talk about how you know a lot of early red carpet dresses were you know 
from the studio from the studios in the studio era from like the studio's costume designers so like they yeah. literally were like extensions of the characters like Audrey Hepburn's Roman Holiday Wind dress was a dress. There's a lot of controversy over who actually designed it because it's like credited to Givenchy, but like also Edith Head. Um, so there's this oh, like fight sort of over it. But like it was sort of this like element of it was from what we understand like a dress that was like from the movie that then was altered for the purposes of the for the, of the award ceremony and there's a lot that that yeah. is like a lot about character and how you want to portray and then obviously the other 99 um 2000 outfits that i talk about is actually in the context of the gwyneth chapter because i talk about trey parker and matt stone on that red carpet <laughs> oh right god that's <laughs> right yeah came in the j-lo dress and then the J-Lo Versace from the Grammys. And then in the and then in the um the Gwyneth dress, the pink off Ralph Lauren. So and the fact that like And Mark Shaman goes with them in like a pimp costume, yes, right? Oh yes. I forgot that part. Oh yeah. wow. <laughs> yeah. And they have since admitted that they were like completely high like they were on ass <laughs> of course yeah but like... like but the fact that this you know the fact that Gwyneth's dress which was like already sort of you know as I said for like an eight-year-old girl I was like holy shit this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life but like yeah. she was already being made fun of like both immediately oh, yeah. at the Oscars, obviously, like the crocodile tears question and all of that. And um, and then like the very next year, like someone comes on the red carpet, just like immediately like making fun of her look yeah. um, and how sort of fucked up that is. <laughs> yeah, yes. Well, that always, I mean, whatever, Trey Parker and Matt Stone have their own, you know, thing, obviously. And a lot of their vibe is very much like you're stupid for caring yeah. about things. Um, and... I, I even at the time I remember just being like there was kind of like a little bit of just like a let them live kind of a thing. Just like let, you know, let J Lo and Gwyneth get their attention. It felt like very sort of like bratty of just sort of just like stop paying attention to these, you know. Right. Women. And I mean and they were like, Do we even go to the ceremony? And if we do go, like, well, we're gonna like say fuck you to the ceremony. But then even right. since then they've admitted, which I write about in the book, like how hard it was, like how you know challenging it was to create these looks, to recreate these looks. Yeah, sort of like, yeah, like this isn't yeah. easy. <laughs> like, this right, is hard. right, <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, I super can't wait to uh, to read the book, Esther, February first, uh, yes. as we mentioned before. So very, very and exciting. we will tweet out a link for uh, listeners to pre order it, and it will also be on our Tumblr. Thank Excellent. You. All right, so let's jump back into the uh, movie. Esther, we're going to have you do a 60-second plot description in a second. But first, I'm going to sort of run down the specifics of the movie we're talking about today. It's October Sky, uh, directed by Joe Johnston. I definitely want to get into the Joe Johnston of it all because he's a really fascinating filmmaker and sort of just paging through his filmography and listening to like a couple of interviews with him talking about this movie and sort of the context of his career. It's really, really interesting. Um, uh, written by uh, Louis Kolick, starring Jake Gyllenhaal, Chris Cooper, Laura Dern, Chris Owen, William Lee Scott, Chad Lindbergh, Natalie Canarday. It premiered on February 19th, 1999. Probably, I would guess, like a month before those uh, those Shakespeare and Love Oscars, actually, because they were, I think they were still in March yeah. at the time. 
Um, I also feel like that was the first Sunday Oscars, or one of the first Sunday Oscars. I think it might have been the first, where they moved it from Mondays to Sundays. Oh. Um, which, uh, it's wild to think about, like, for so many years, like, the biggest TV event of the year that wasn't the Super Bowl was just on a Monday night. Just <laughs> wild. Um, okay, so Esther, I have a minute on my, uh, little okay. phone here. I'm winging this, so let's see if I can do it. <laughs> oh, I love it. Love it when, uh, when people wing it. I, uh, much respect. All right, so 60 seconds to describe the plot of October Sky. Your time starts now. Okay. Um, so Jake Gyllenhaal plays Homer Hickam Jr., who is the son of a coal miner played by Chris Cooper in West Virginia. He wants to get out of this town, but he can't get a football scholarship, which in the 50s is basically like the only way out of the town. Then he sees Sputnik um, flying across the sky and he decides, I'm going to build rocket- rockets. So he and his friends join up with um, another friend who's like the nerdy kid at school and risk um, social isolation and start building rockets. And obviously, 30 seconds. his dad, his dad is not happy with his rocket building. Um, but his kindly teacher, played by Laura Dern, Miss Riley, is encouraging to him to go to the science fair and become um, an engineer. And there's all sorts of conflict, including a strike at the mine. And um, but he seconds. succeeds and goes to the science fair and gets to go to college and becomes a NASA engineer. And time. Very good. Well, uh, well spaced Perfect. out there, Esther. Great. Good Thank job. You. As I texted to Chris last night, the one question I have about October Sky is, where were the lesbians and gays who support the miners in this town <laughs> like there were in Pride, my favorite movie about miners? Well, so um, I, the other thing that I was also going to th- say that I thought about when watching this movie is it is basically, I know this is real life and this other movie was not real life and it came out afterwards, but it is basically the same plot as Billy Elliot. Like, yeah, I was, was going to say, say that too. I, my question is, where are the preteen boys learning ballet? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. It is the same plot as Billy Elliot. It is just sub rockets for ballet. Yep. But yep. you have yep. exactly. your minor dad. Who, and the other thing is that um, the other difference is that Chris Cooper's character, John Hickam, is management at the mine. So he's not supporting the strikers. I thought yeah, that I was going to say this movie is also maybe anti-union. Yeah, you couldn't yeah. have you you couldn't have made this movie in England because miners' strikes and mining unions are such a flashpoint of that country's sort of modern history. Yeah, and it's interesting that you could that a movie like October Sky can sort of tiptoe past the union issues in this yeah. without an audience sort of turning on it. Which... I mean, it is weird that it's like basically the plot in the, like basically it's like his dad ends the strike to help his son. And that's like the big, that's the big sort of emotional gesture. And you're not like, just like, and and that's his like turn. I mean, I, so I guess it's, it's not anti-union so much as it's just like not really getting into it. Like, it's not specifically pro-union. It's sort yeah. of like, yeah. It dodges yeah. any pro or negative union sentiment because it's a movie about kids and it assumes kids don't understand what unions yeah. are. Yeah. But it also like literally shows like dead and broken bodies being pulled out of this mine or whatever. So like you are definitely seeing things like just like, oh, wow, like these workers could use some protections. Like I like you can definitely draw the line to yeah. 
why these yeah, poor Peter Parker's really uh, landlord dies yes! in the mine. I, was, I uh, thought oh my that god! Too. I, when I when I came across him, I was like, oh my god, it's Peter Parker's landlord. He wants the yep. rent. He wants the rent from Peter Parker. <laughs> and then I had this like weird brain moment too, because it's like obviously Jake has this like weird connection to Spider Man and the fact that like he was almost yeah. replaced Toby, and then you know, and then yep. he was in a Spider Man movie, and so my brain sort of broke for a minute. I was like, wait, well, do they work together again? I was like, no, he was just Spider-Man October Spider-Man. Sky is in the multiverse yes absolutely (laughs) oh my god that's so funny so um i want to sort of back up to uh joe johnston for a second as i as i was mentioning this is his best reviewed movie if you look at this on uh on rotten tomatoes it's a it's a 91 percenter on rotten tomatoes and you know caveat uh, rotten tomatoes problematic uh, not not a true barometer yada 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 but um relative to everything else he makes this movie after a really interesting sort of stretch for him because he his career is sort of fascinating. Every time our friends at uh, our friends at Blank Check, well, every once in a while, sort of mention sort of a stray thought that they might do a series on Joe Johnston. And after looking at this filmography, I'm just like, well, they kind of have to because it's a really fascinating career. And I really next time it's up for a, a bracket vote or whatever, I'm definitely uh, throwing my support because he gets his start as a uh, effects guy for George Lucas in this mm-hmm. original Star Wars trilogy. He's the guy who designed the Boba Fett look, like costume. Yeah, um, there was actually a really interesting interview with him pegged to Book of Boba Fett um, that I think David Itzkoff did in the New York Times where he was like, yeah, I would have never taken off the helmet, which like obviously the new show is doing all the time. Sure, of course, yeah. Well, and it's funny because then you look at The Rocketeer, which was... Yeah. Uh, his second movie, and like obviously, you can draw the line from the Boba, the Boba Fett costume to the Rocketeers look um, pretty clearly. Uh, his first though feature film uh, is Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, which I had no idea. I had no idea that that was a Joe Johnson movie. And like, what a talk about a movie that like when I was nine years old, I was super into. And uh, that movie was a talk big about deal. a movie that I was super scaredy cat about Me because too. that is a terrifying Me movie. Too. That big giant ant, two, but it was so friendly. Two of Joe Johnston's movies um, pre October Sky, I did see, but like I fully associate with being just like absolutely terrified of because the other one is Jumanji, which is also Jumanji, of a course. scary movie. Well, yes, it absolutely. Um, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids also. Uh, Every once in a while uh, on Twitter, like some Gen Xer will circulate a photo of the older brother from uh, the neighbor older brother from Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And just like, oh, right. That was like absolutely one of my very first like gay crushes when I was way too young (laughs) to know what was going on um, was that guy. Um, But so that's a big success, that movie. And then The Rocketeer isn't. Both of those movies were on the Disney Channel constantly, by the way. Both of them. I will always, like, Jennifer Connelly saying The Rock of Who is, like, burned into my brain somehow <laughs> because of The Rocketeer. Um, and, but that one was, got, like, okay reviews, but, like, kind of was a bomb financially, relative to what they wanted it to be. And then he directs The Page Master, which I've never seen, but is, like, this notoriously bad Half live action, half animated, probably mostly animated movie. You really got to catch up to that weird movie, buddy. Yeah, uh, is it worth seeing? 
It, I loved it as a kid. Yeah. It is bizarre. I feel like that's probably one of those movies that I liked as a kid where it was like settling in like, oh, this kid likes the weird movies. Um, <laughs> it's like bad as a Macaulay Culkin vehicle. Sure. But like for that mid 90s range of kids movies, it's fascinating. You should watch it. And it's like. 68 minutes or something crazy. I mean, it's worth checking out just to, for the, the curiosity of it alone. Joe Johnston kind of disowns it. He talks about how he was only brought in to essentially direct the live action portions of it. He says that his cut Which is was, not very much. was totally usurped by the producers. He kind of, you know, I've listened to interviews with him where he, you know, sort of holds the producers of that movie in contempt. And he's like, I barely read the script and I only came in to work on, you know, the, uh, a week's worth of work. And they changed everything. And I should should have, you know, complained to the union and yada, yada, yada. Um, Is this also basically what happened with uh, Nutcracker in the Four Realms? (laughs) I mean, kind of in that, like, he was called in uh, late to to fill in. Yes. Yeah. Uh, In in that case, it was for uh, for Lassa Hallstrom. Um, I do love Nutcracker in the Four Realms, though, in my own way, in my own. What a wonderful movie. The Page Master and Nutcracker in the Four Realms are very, very aligned, I would say. (laughs) Oh, that makes a lot of sense, actually. Um, he rebounds from the Page Master with Jumanji, which is a $100 million movie, although it's interesting to think of at the time. Like, at the time, the reviews were not good. At the time, it was sort of uh, kind of disregarded by critics, which is interesting because it has such a great reputation now uh, among the people who sort of grew up watching it. I love Jumanji. I love thinking about Jumanji. And it's sort of now, because it spawned all these sort of like later on sequels and remakes and whatnot, um, it's it's sort of hard to remember that that movie was kind of brushed off as just sort of like a Robin Williams cash grab uh, with too much uh, computer generated whatever. But like, I love Jumanji and it makes perfect sense as a Joe Johnston movie because it's very much like adventure, you know, terrifying, almost like an adventure it's serial so scary. kind of thing. Yes, yes. So also kind of scary. The monkeys in that were were terrifying yeah um also the fact that like at any moment like your nice little calm house could (laughs) erupt into uh uh, feral violence yes um october sky four years after jumanji it's his next movie he had been in talks to make a hulk movie in that time um and it sort of fell through and the Hulk movie, interestingly enough, the producer on that was going to be Mark Platt. And so uh, Joe Johnston talks about how he was sort of not super enthused about directing the Hulk movie, but wanted to sort of help develop it uh, somehow. And then he gets the script for October Sky. He totally falls in love with it. It's called Rocket Boys at that point. Um, uh, and he has to sort of like break the news to Mark Platt that he's not doing this Hulk movie anymore and he's going to do October sky. Um, and Mark Platt channeled all that rage and said, I'm going to turn my son into the biggest star on Broadway. No, um, <laughs> um, and so he makes October sky. He says it's his favorite movie of all the ones he's directed. Uh, and you can, you can see the sort of care that he puts into this, right? Where it's yeah. very much a, sort of like lovingly crafted it's not like his personal story obviously it's a it's a true story whatever uh and and joe johnston doesn't really have a career that has sort of like you know this is my personal sort of like baby but this is the sort of most human size of all of his movies 
And it's really lovely. Like, I really enjoyed watching it again. I hadn't seen it in forever, and I for- had forgotten a lot about it. Um, but it's just a really cute movie. Like, I think it's really well done. This is so weird I, that I love... Oh, sorry. No, I was going to say, because we're, like, talking about Joe Johnson, and I feel like Joe Johnson is probably the reason that they didn't position this movie better because it was february release it's not the type of thing that they're rushing to get out like the movie would have been finished last minute so you could have easily conceived conceived them you know putting it out at the end of the previous year to do kind of an awards run or like holding it for the fall but i feel like the type of affection that grew for this movie was a more organic thing and then like we're still in the blockbuster era so it's like i feel like this is also a prime like movie that people made their second or third choice at blockbuster um and that's how a lot of people saw it but um yeah it just seems like the type of thing that like any awards credit that it got it got organically and because people liked the movie but the movie wasn't positioned that way or expected to be as good as it was because of you know the critical reception of his earlier work or like what his earlier work yeah he wasn't expected to be an oscar guy like this was not this that's not what universal sort of had in mind for this movie they wanted it to be a sort of first quarter family movie and yeah and that's so interesting too because i was just thinking like a thought i had re-watching it um and i i hadn't seen it in a really long time is like if this movie were made today, like it would be positioned as an Oscar movie because I think like only like true stories like this really only get made largely or it's either an Oscar movie or like borderline faith based. Like there's no like yeah. sort of middle ground for I think like stories like that these days. And like yeah. this, I don't know, like this is so weird to think and say out loud, but it's like, if this movie were made today, it would be bad. Like, and I have nothing to back that up, but I just feel like. It's well, it would be bad because it would all that would always be like in the fabric of what the movie is supposed right. to be. It would right? either be like be... overly inspirational or and mawkish and sort of like mm. really. And and I think like it does such a good job of sort of hitting all those notes without beating you over the head with them and i think so it would either be that or it would be like almost too self-conscious and like winky and like trying to be like funny in a way that this like doesn't go overboard like it's just like a very it's it's a very just like well done straight down the middle movie which i just don't think we have any room for anymore which is there's an earnestness to this kind of movie from the 90s that like is earnest but like when we talk about earnest now it's like overly like wrought earnestness whereas like this is just like very simple straightforward um and like effective it's also nostalgic without hitting you over the head with that like it is it sort of is set in this sort of bygone era and without being like I feel like these days those kind of movies are almost kitschy with how they yeah. are adding period detail to things and you almost sort of and I you know I don't hate stranger things like I have complicated feelings about stranger things <laughs> but like anytime you see a movie with like it's four young boys who are friends who are doing something in an older time and it's just like oh they're going to do the stranger things thing where they were just going to really like heavily you know make yeah. sh- like press their thumbs on the scales of nostalgia and things like that 
I will say, I think like Joe Johnston does this really well throughout his work. Cause even thinking about like Captain America, the first adventure, which yeah. is like almost an underrated Marvel movie at this point in time, but is so yep. good, but it like does a really good job of sort of like getting into like the forties nostalgia without overdoing it. It's, it's, like he does a really good job at it at that. No, totally. I think that's right. He's he he does period detail in a way that feels very cared for without feeling showy. Yeah. And and in Captain America, it's really fun. Obviously, I you get you really get the sense that he got that movie because of uh The Rocketeer yeah. where it's just like that kind of like they don't make movies like that anymore and uh, he brought that energy to Captain America. And it's very distinct. Uh, the first Avenger is very distinct sort of because of that. When people always talk about sort of the Marvel machine and whatever, and I, you know, can quibble with that to one degree or another, but that's definitely a movie that stands out. And I think Joe Johnston is a really, you know, big part of that reason. Yeah. Um, his My career- observation while rewatching the movie in terms of like the period detail and like that 90s earnestness thing was that we need to return to the era when every other movie had a yakety yak needle drop. <laughs> <laughs> the needle drops in this movie were were very evocative. There was yeah. like the like you can't have a movie set in this time period and not have smoke it's in your eyes like it's like it's it's the law um there was a lot of like well we're like there's a dance there's a school dance and that's going to have all the sort of you know sort of soul hits of the time and yeah it's a it's a good if this movie were made 10 even five years before it was i bet you its soundtrack would have sold really well yeah because it's a good soundtrack movie I did want to mention a couple other sort of post-October Sky Joe Johnson movies really quickly. He did Jurassic Park 3, which has a very sort of... I feel feel like... (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. The most insane... Like, credit to Joe Johnston for putting that... A talking dinosaur (laughs) in a dream in a a Jurassic Park movie. I feel like on a long enough timeline, um, people like Jurassic Park 3 more and more. (laughs) Like, the more... Shout out to uh, my colleague and, and friend happen. Emma Stefanski, who has written a ode to Jurassic Park three for us at Thrillist. So, I mean, there's a lot to recommend it with that movie for sure. And also, uh, Laura Dern shows up at the end to uh, to be in her second Joe Johnson movie. Um, he does Hidalgo, a movie that I have not seen, but I always feel like I I I fascinated that there was a Viggo Mortensen movie where he plays a cowboy horse wrangler what's his deal in hidalgo i don't even (laughs) yeah and it takes place in like um the middle east um i was very like i don't think i ever saw this movie but i was really hyped for it in like a post uh return of the king vigo obsession i feel like also this trailer was before every movie i saw for like a good solid yeah i feel like that trailer played forever i feel like hidalgo I have not, but I feel like it fits in perfectly with your movies that only exist as titles, even though it's not some like it's not a convoluted thing. long title. But it's, it's a... not a things to do in Denver when you're dead, right? But, like no. you can throw in Hidalgo. There. That's true. Um, he directs The Wolfman in 2010. That's another one where he jumps onto that project pretty much at the last minute. That movie was originally going to be directed by Mark Romanek, which I'm kind of fascinated at the what could have been about that movie. The Wolfman, I genuinely think, is not a good movie. Like, it's interesting that that's 
Of all of Joe Johnston's movies that have been reclaimed by history, that one has not, and I think there's probably a good reason for that. Um, we remember it for Kate Blanchett uh, reacting to it uh, when she's reading the nominees at the Oscars that year for makeup, and she says "gross," and uh, it that's did look gross. it did look gross. Um, it's gross. That's an interesting uh, Oscar red carpet look, though, uh, Esther. The that sort of uh, pink pinkish purple thing with the cutout. Uh, yes. If you recall? Yes, I do recall. What year it's was that really again? Uh, well, uh, Wolfman was 2010? And 2010, yes. Was 2010, yes. So that was the Anne Hathaway, James Franco hosted. Oh, wait. Disaster. <laughs> Disaster. <laughs> the best yes. thing about that Oscars was Kate Blanchett's dress. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's Givenchy. It it's, is Givenchy. Yeah, it's beautiful. It looks like the cutout, it almost looks like a mirror, mirror on the wall kind of like thing where you're yeah. just like, like, that's like, it's, it's in that sort of shape. Um, yeah. The I face love that will materialize at any point. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, and then we've talked about uh, Captain America and of course, uh, beloved Nutcracker in the Four Realms. So yeah, an incredibly, really interesting um, filmography and October Sky, again, as I said, he sort of talks about being uh, very sort of dear to him. Um, it was a Critics' Choice Awards winner for Best Family Film, and this was back, this was the early days of the Critics' Choice. Very uh, early Critics' Choice. They didn't do nominees, it was just, they were like the National Board of Review or whatever, they would just have a list of winners. Um, and uh, I'm trying to, they went for American Beauty for Best Picture that year, as did the Oscars. Um, I'm trying to pick out any kind of like interesting choices they made or sort of off well their best song was music of my heart from music of the heart so you know they recognized diane warren even if once again the oscars did not um, i feel like we've done a what if the oscars had a best picture 10 lineup before and what they because they do have a top 10 in critics choice this year i feel like it is very close to what ours we said it would probably be minus Toy Story 2 is not nominated there. So read it off, Chris. Read off their top ten that year. As you said, their winner was American Beauty. They also have Being John Malkovich, Magnolia, Man on the Moon, Cider House Rules, The Green Mile, The Insider, The Sixth Sense, Talented Mr. Ripley, and Three Kings. So it's the five movies that would eventually get the Best Picture nominated at the Oscars, plus Malkovich, which had gotten the director nomination for Spike Jones, um, Magnolia, Man on the Moon, Ripley, and Three Kings. Yeah, that seems that seems very I would probably sub Toy Story two and sure. um, Toy Story two for like Three Kings, and then Man on the Moon would probably be like Election, oh, maybe because yeah. Election did get that screenplay nomination that year. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good list. 99 sort of is kind of notorious at the Oscars for being this like great year for movies and kind of a dubious best picture lineup because of the Cider House rules and the Green Mile in particular. And also because American Beauty has a very complicated legacy as a best picture <laughs> winner. Um, a movie I still haven't rewatched in years and I'm still kind of, I've now, I'm sort of now shifting from afraid to rewatch it again to kind of interested to rewatch it again. Cause I almost perversely want to make a case for it, but I, I, I want to see, I want to see where it lands with me now. Cause it feels like the worm has turned on it so heavily because of 
eight billion things of about it. But yeah, I rewatched it. I think in two thousand. 15 maybe for like an anniversary piece where like I did a piece that was like when I was at EW that was like does it hold up um yeah but that was also pre-spacey so it's yeah like, right right <laughs> there's another there's another layer of ugh, you could not pick it. a worse spacey movie to watch in the context of his whole deal like it really yeah. is like I guess billionaire boys club which I did watch and write about like right in the wake of that when it they like snuck it onto vod um that year but like even that one he's not being like sexually creepy in that beyond like inference or whatever um yeah I mean, and we that didn't was... get a spacey christmas video this year maybe we're god entering bless. a new era oh, god, god bless tiptoed past that graveyard didn't we yeah um the other sort of major awards attention that October Sky got, because it really wasn't much. As Chris, you said, it sort of forged its own path, uh, kind of, um, and and had a very genuinely, uh, almost like grassroots uh, support, was the uh, Writers Guild. Sorry, I'm just trying to bring this up. It was a Writers Guild nominee for Best Adapted Screenplay. Uh, alongside, I'm pretty sure everything else... It's the Oscar lineup with the exception of the Green Mile. The uh, October Sky has the Green Miles slot, basically. I was going to say. So the other nominees were... Election actually wins the WG Award that year, which is awesome. Like, that's good for good for the Writers Guild on that one. That, that Election did get the Oscar nomination, but it lost to John Irving for the Cider House Rules. Um, the Insider is nominated that year, and also the talented Mr. Ripley. And... I think it's just, it's one of those things where I don't know if you look at October Sky and think that's a particularly, like, the writing on that is so impressive. But I think it's one of those things where it's just like, we really liked this movie and we want to find a way to acknowledge it within our own purview. And the writers are just like, yeah, like, we really liked it. And Well, and the Writers Guild always has, like, weird eligibility things. And, like, you could... I'm not sure if Frank Darabont is not in the Writers Guild. I would be curious to, like, go back and see that. And that's why he's not nominated, but, like... Yeah. I was sort of paging through uh, WGA nominations versus the Oscars sort of from like the nineties on forward and you get the, the lineups are a lot more different these days than they were like for the nineties, you would get like four to five or even five of five match matchup uh, for those. And I, I wonder if the eligibility rules became more stringent through the years or whether, you know, you had just more filmmakers opting out of the union or, or whatever like who knows what the but it does it does feel like the the lineups definitely matched a lot more than they do now um, yeah i think there's also like interesting oh as the oscars have gotten more global i think that also yes. gets involved mm-hmm. with the writers guild because like there's weird eligibility for people who are not from America and then right. yeah, also like, and then you get people like and stuff like, yeah, where it's right. like, like Tarantino, I think like never gets a, 
Writers Guild. Tarantino famously, I think, has never joined the Writers Guild. I yeah, that's sort of one. Well, of his... his screenplays are all written on cocktail napkins <laughs> together by, you know. Um, but I sort of I jotted down a list of sort of WGA nominees who were outliers for the Oscars. This isn't uh, the list that I had put in our document here. Isn't comprehensive of all of the WGA nominees that didn't get nominated at the Oscars, but these are more for like the films that like were kind of outside of the Oscar conversation entirely or in part. So one of these I love, like I sort of, you know, it's so, so many of these on this list that you put here, um, which obviously we should probably read out, I guess, because people can't see it. Um, but our movies... Yeah, the, that, call like, out some of your faves from this. Like, yeah, really I mean, like, The Birdcage, obviously something that, like, I would, you know, is definitely one of my favorite screenplays of all time, um, but never strikes me as sort of like an awesome Clueless, same thing, like, you know. I love that Clueless got a WGA I love that Clueless. I love that Mean Girls got a WGA nom. Um, mm-hmm. I love, yep. you know... Best in Show, I think, is interesting because, like, how much of that movie is, like, written versus improvised, but... Um, I remember that being kind of a conversation yeah. that year because it was always sort of on the, like, long lists of predictions, and that was basically the the issue there. It was just, like, will voters recognize this as a traditionally yeah. written script but, like, rather well, than... And they- kept in the Christopher Guest movies they kept trying to like push for that so they like when you're reading interviews they get way more pedantic in terms of like how those movies are like made like assembled like what is scripted what is improvised like how much character description there is because I think they want people to understand it in terms of a screenplay specifically because those movies kept getting more and more awards buzzed but also WGA Oh, sorry, station agent. Oh, I was just gonna like the station agent. You know, yeah. an adult. Um, you know, they're, they're definitely. Uh, please give. Please is give. Probably my favorite on there. Eighth they're definitely grade. friendlier to comedies. Which, yeah. like, Apatow shows up a couple of times. He got nominated for the forty-year-old virgin and knocked up. Tom McCarthy. You mentioned the station agent. Also, Win Win gets a WGA yeah. nomination, which like that rules. I love that movie. Um, they also. Like they do make some bad choices separate sure. from Oscar, and yes. they it's more like populist where they're nominating things like Deadpool. Right, yeah. they, they've gotten friendlier to the sort of action blockbuster recently with like Guardians of the Galaxy and Deadpool. Lone Survivor, I think, is an odd choice for a yeah. screenplay oh nomination. God. I think the screenplay for Lone Survivor is just like bones crunching. <laughs> right. <laughs> Exactly. It's all sound effects. Like, it's all bracketed. Yeah. Gunshots. Yeah. Helicopter. Exactly. Helicopter um, gunshot. I love that eighth grade won a few years ago. Like, that was, and that was, again, I'm pretty sure a year that was, like, riddled with ineligibility issues or whatever, but still. But no, because both of the Oscar screenplay winners are nominated that year. Both Green Book and um, Black Klansmen are nominated oh, and don't win. It's a real there. There are definitely like eligibility things there. Like I think the favorite was not eligible, if I, I remember correctly. Right. Yeah. But it's a weird writers guild year in that. Like I think it also because Green Book didn't win in eighth grade one, and eighth grade wasn't an Oscar nominee, and it it was like one of those things that made some of us who were really on the anti-Green Book train feel like, see, it's not as strong as people say that. It yeah, is. yeah, yeah, yeah. We had so much hope, so many moments of hope in that Oscar campaign of like, it's not, it didn't get a Best Director nomination, it's not going to win Best Picture. And, oh, 
God. And um, it was also that the adapted screenplay that one was Can You Ever Forgive Me? Which was like, finally, yeah. Yeah. it wins something. Yeah. Uh, WGA also a lot friendlier, too. Well, Eighth Grade is a good example of that, too, of just sort of, um, like... Uh, high school movies and and movies about like young people obviously uh book smart was nominated a few years ago perks of being a wallflower was a nominee we mentioned mean girls we mentioned clueless um and these are just things that the oscars tend to shun in a way that is annoying about like you know i love the oscars but like that's one of the things about the oscars that's annoying is they don't seem to that that group of voters their snobbiness sort of turns up their nose at uh, movies like that which is a bummer um i think even if you don't love all of those movies i think that's you know it's a genre of movie that has greatness in it and it's a bummer when it doesn't get uh recognized um i did want i i wanted to mention i love you philip morris because like that's just a really strange i it's wild what to a me bad that, that movie. was a nominee i don't like that movie and it's still just like i almost like tip my hat to wg anyway because it's just like way to go totally off the map of what was in the conversation that year just crazy i I did that movie for the bad romance podcast and it was like thank god i won't have to we i will never do an episode on it for this because i don't want to watch that movie again (laughs) that movie had such a weird awards trajectory because it didn't come out until almost like two years after it premiered at its sundance it's very strange yeah yeah but anyway good on the wga for being uh you know, off the beaten path and stuff like that. So October Sky uh, and and Three Kings, I think, is the other one from 99 that sort of stand out. Three Kings had a lot of Oscar buzz at the beginning of that season, and the critics loved it. And then for whatever reason, it's interesting that, like, this was before the Oscars realized that they loved George Clooney. And I think Three Kings and is David a movie o. that... And David O. Yeah. Russell, right. And, and if this movie comes out, you know... Uh, 10 years later 10 years after it does i bet you it's a it's a whole other story because it's it's easy you could easily see oscar voters going for it it's not like there's anything about three kings that is particularly oscar unfriendly yeah it's interesting that's another there was already the reports of like george clooney punching david o russell like that wasn't something we found out later like that we knew yeah (laughs) it was troubled always a good time remembering the stories about george clooney punching out david o russell (laughs) um yeah what else what else do we want to talk about chris in the the can we talk about laura dern in this movie because like i feel like this isn't the type of performance that's going to probably even like we mentioned earlier if october sky came out now like it would be a major oscar movie but like still that performance probably isn't going to get an oscar nomination but what i do think and i'm surprised that like I never feel like this got talked about when Laura Dern became such a huge deal in recent years. And like, I think she became as big as she did. And so like openly beloved and we were ready to be like, yes, we're giving Laura Dern her moment is because like people in like our generations, like sure. We talked about Jurassic park being like a part of like our nostalgia and our emotional like response to seeing Laura Dern. But I think that this was some of it too, when she's playing in movies like this, where she's, you know, supportive teacher, yes. um, encouraging warm female presence that like, that really you like know, yeah. embeds itself in your psyche when you're young and watching when it. you see this actress show up. Right. Totally. And like, 
It's What's fascinating... A, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Esther. I was going to say, like, it's also fascinating. Like, I didn't remember this because I did have a vivid memory of her. But, like, it's a, it is a really supporting role. Like, she doesn't really... It's not like right. the teacher watching over their shoulders, like, at every minute. Like, she sort of gives them a book. She so, supports them. And then she gets cancer. And it's, like, very sad. But it's just, like, it's not... Um, it's not as... And it's even... But, like... I, I mean, and this is another thing that I really like about the movie that, like, even when she does get cancer, like, it, it plays it, it, like, very much underplays it. I mean, there's that beautiful shot yes. of her, like, watching the, the final rocket that they, like, shoot up. That was the, the moment where, like, the tear jumped to yes, my eye. A hundred percent. That is such, like, a beautiful moment. And that's the moment that, like, same, same. That's, like, when I started yeah. to cry. But it is, like, a very small, it's almost like a very small role. And I think, like, it's, it is so interesting for her at this point in time. Like, I, I you know, the fact that, like, she hadn't made a movie since Citizen Ruth, but, like, was it such, like, but, like, previous, like, you know, a couple years before was in the, like, Ellen episode and, like, had such I, a yes, big, yeah, I moment was, there. It's it's a fascinating sort of corner of her career because, yeah, she's, like, Citizen Ruth is such a, like, classic indie um, sort of launching pad kind of a role, right? Where, and it's, you know, um, we talked about sort of election doing similar things for uh, Reese Witherspoon in uh, 99. And so her star did kind of jump, but like she did a lot of, not even a lot of TV, but like the stuff she was doing at this point, she was in, uh, like you said, she was in the Ellen episode, the big famous uh, coming out episode. She was in a TV movie about Ruby Ridge. She was uh, the sort of, narrator voiceover in that movie bastard out of carolina which is listed as a feature film but i'm pretty sure that was like showtime or uh or something like that um and then she was in that tv movie the baby dance with stockard channing which i only know of because i remember old like golden globe awards (laughs) clips or whatever (laughs) where uh she and stockard were were nominated for the baby dance and it's just an odd but that's another one where she's playing this like single mother who's you know uh, stalker channing's going to adopt her baby and uh you know kind of very you could see where she got cast in that uh, from citizen ruth but yeah this is her first real feature film in you know what is it citizen ruth is 96 so yeah three years and then even the 2000s are an odd decade for her it really doesn't sort of start coming together for her until almost the end of that decade where it really did feel like for a while you had to be like, we're, we're, we're missing out on the word during here. You know what I mean? She's yeah, it's these... such an interesting... say thank you to David Lynch and his cow for <laughs> inland empire. <laughs> One of the great Oscar campaigns, David Lynch on a lawn with a cow yes. with a sign for Laura Dern for inland empire. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so interesting, even like before, you know, even pre-October Sky, the fact that she's, like, this indie, you know, queen from the, from her, like, association with Lynch, um, but yep. also, yep. and then, you know, Jurassic Park is sort of, like, diverges from that, making her this um, big, like, putting her in a blockbuster, but then people not really knowing quite knowing what to do with that like exactly and with her and so like finding roles for her like this which is sort of like you know gives her some nice moments but not really like 
a real chance to shine. It's always fascinating to me that Jurassic Park being like the biggest movie of that year in terms of like just cultural dominance, you know, right? And it was, the, you know, the big movie of the summer and all that. And yet the career trajectories that move out of that, the one that really gets the boost is Jeff Goldblum. Like Jeff Goldblum is the one who becomes momentarily kind of a blockbuster leading man from Jurassic Park. Like not really, like Sam Neill goes and makes more Sam Neill movies. And Laura Dern sort of continues this kind of slow burn of her, of a career and I mean, Samuel L. Jackson, I guess you could, but like Samuel L. Jackson wasn't like launching from Jurassic Park. Yeah. That's more just like you look back and it's just like, oh, right. He's the guy whose arm drops on Lord Turn's shoulder. It's uh, a small asterisk, but I would say like Joseph Mazzello becomes like the go-to kid actor, right? For a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And then sort of shows up in the social network many years later and you're just like, that kid. Right. He's not the one who plays Peter Thiel and in social network is he no he's one of the um he he's like one of their dudes like in okay the, yeah i'm pretty sure he's like um i can't remember i can't remember the names, names either but it's like who cares yeah yeah um all right i was just gonna say that would be an odd like just to have that on your imdb just like just played peter teal in a best picture nominated uh, movie and and it's stuck on you for the rest of your career no, that would be a great. He's Dustin uh, Moskowitz. I'm Joseph Mazzello, and I'm an right. actor. Yeah, he's Dustin Moskowitz. He's like one of the guys in college. With yes, them, right. What did you say, Chris? Is very. I was saying it would be a great footnote in those like I'm Joseph Mazzello, and I'm an actor at the Saturday. <laughs> And don't forget, he was, was chased in... by dinosaurs and played Peter Thiel. He was in <laughs> a Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh yeah, that's yeah. true. What an interesting career for that kid. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love Laura Dern in October Sky. I think, Chris, it's exactly right. She's sort of that, like, perfectly, uh, you know, the kind teacher is a great archetype for when you're watching a movie, when you're that age, when you're sort of young. And uh, and then it, like, activates, like, when, you know, she has this moment, like, we have this emotional connection that I don't think we've, like, quite put words to right. for who this actress is. And she couldn't be doing something more different, but, like, right. that's part of why we get so invested in it. This is also the year of Chris Cooper playing um, stern dads uh, in movies, obviously. <laughs> that's that's not the total, that's not the sum total of his role in uh, American Beauty. There's... God, that's another problematic aspect of it. Yeah, that's it's yeah. like yeah. It's so Oh god, up. I forgot about that. That that whole movie unlocks his character by him being like uh, gay attracted to Kevin Spacey. Oh god. American Beauty, what am I going to do with you? Um Chris Cooper's trajectory is so fascinating in the past like 25 years. Stern Dads to outsider weirdos to so- elder soft boy. That's true. I love the Elder Soft Boy era of Chris Cooper. Um, but I still he, feel like there's still, like, sort of stern dad thrown in there. We got, like, a beautiful day in the neighborhood is, like, pretty stern dad. That's yeah. true. That's a good um, point. Well, and even, even like, um, Little Women, the, like, the Elder Soft Boy comes from the expectation that he's going to be stern dad. Yeah. Like, that's yes. the swerve in Little Women, is you expect him to be, you know, gruff and mean, and then it turns out he's just, like, 
sweet and 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 sad and i love him in that movie he's i should have been i would have oscar nominated him for a little that's what i yeah he's so good good. um what are other some recent ones uh august osage county he's even like that's a movie full of like hardened like bastard people um and he has a little bit of a he sort of compares more softly to streep's character i guess in that where he's just like you know like God, like he just sort of like is shocked by her uh, in in so much of that movie. Um, movie that asks us to believe that Chris Cooper could be Benedict Cumberbatch's dad, <laughs> <laughs> and yet a plausible. Uh, no, he's he's too old to be. Well, how how old is Bronco Henry? If Bronco Henry was uh was cast in that <laughs> oh my god could Chris, are Henry you saying chris could cooper. chris cooper be bronco henry that's my question i'm not saying he could but i'm wondering whether that's a possibility <laughs> well I um, think in the we bronco henry assume... origin story like would we cast, <laughs> who do we cast in the bronco henry well we'd have to go movie? back in time for chris cooper but wouldn't we assume yes. that like bronco henry is like the same age difference between like Phil Burbank and Bronco Henry as like Phil Burbank and like Peter and Cody McPhee. Yes. So, so what like, age range are we talking? Like fifties? I mean, I think Benedict Cumberbatch is older than we think he he's is. He's forty-five. And Cody's so someone who's sixty. Yeah. Okay. Or sixty-five. But yeah, the, the Bronco Henry spinoff movie. He's going to be like younger Bronco Henry. So like yeah. we would have to see him uh, at a younger age. Make it happen, Jane. Get get your cinematic universe at last. The Bronco <laughs> Henry cinematic universe. Um, yeah, Chris Cooper rules. Uh, only three years prior to his Oscar at this point in October Sky. Still one of the... I don't think it's crazy that he won the Oscar for adaptation. I certainly feel like it was like a deserved uh, performance. But it's just kind of wild that he went from just being sort of like a character actor's character actor and then gets this like one incredibly quirky role in a movie that in any other year you would think you would see adaptation and you would be like good movie, but that's way too weird for the Academy. But because the Academy had already latched themselves onto Spike Jones and Charlie Kaufman with being John Malkovich, um, it was sort of like ushered into the conversation and, sort of given consideration, but like, it's weird to think of adaptation in a vacuum and be like, Oh yeah. Like Oscar voters were on board for the ride that that movie, I guess because it's about the process of making movies, I guess that appeals to them. But I mean, it probably softens the edges of weirdness for that movie, but also you have to figure it's only a few years removed from American beauty when there's still a positive sentiment. And I think at the time there was, because I remember even in uh, like, award season interviews, Annette Benning being like, I don't understand why no one's paying attention to the performance Chris Cooper gives in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like there had to have been some lingering sentiment of, we maybe missed an opportunity to recognize this actor. Yeah, it is almost surprising that he didn't. I mean, like, the supporting actor lineup is very good for 2000, um, but it is almost surprising that he didn't make it in for given like the overwhelming love for American beauty sort of like all over the place. He he was, I should mention, he was a SAG nominee though that year for, for American beauty. Like that was, he was kind of the outlier 
at those SAG nominations um, where, and now I want to look up and see who he displaced. Uh, give me a second. Um, it was him instead of Jude Law, actually. It was the Oscar lineup. It was Kane, Haley Joel Osment, Michael J- Clark Duncan, Tom Cruise, and then it was Cooper in American Beauty instead of Jude Law in Talented Mr. Ripley at the SAGs that year. I mean, I feel like the Michael Caine performance is just like such a sleepy performance in that movie. I haven't seen it in a really long time, but you know, he's he does the like whole Princes of New England thing and yes. like wins people over. Um, but I do feel like I was very sort of fond like, of that movie at the time and I haven't revisited it in a while. Um, and I probably should, but yeah, that was, I think that the, the, the kind of cool kids were all on Tom Cruise's side for Magnolia that one. And looking back, that was the, like, that was the opportunity to give Tom Cruise an Oscar. And I, it's hard to see that yep. kind have, of thing happening again. I have recently like, rewatched magnolia and like he is so fucking good oh he's astounding like it's it's incredible it's such a perfect use of him like yeah yeah, it is sort of sad that like that isn't like his oscar with the fucking ponytail i i imagine people have written about that too about how much his character in that movie sort of oh it's so a canary prescient. in a coal mine for like it's men so in the twenty first century. Yeah, it's the PUA thing entirely, the pickup artist thing. I mean, it is that. Yeah, but it's like yeah, oh yeah, online getting sort of like magnified now. It's so creepy. It's it's really ugh. Yeah, it's so on point that I almost am surprised that it hasn't gotten the cultural cachet of like the red pill has from the Matrix, where it's like a bunch of people <laughs> totally misreading. The context of it and claiming it as their own even though it's it's not meant to be like because it is so maybe it's that maybe it is just too well done that you can't look it in the eye without feeling uh, implicated by it or something but uh yeah it's the type of performance that we're never gonna get from tom cruise again mm-hmm. which is kind of like the added that's sort of my winning. thing yes yeah and i mean i think in a year where it didn't because even after Tom Cruise won the Globe for it, it didn't feel locked up. And because there's like it was such a competitive supporting actor year, and yeah. like a competitive supporting actor year where like almost all of the supporting actor players are in like best picture potential movies. If Magnolia was like a best picture player, he yeah. might have won. Yeah. But I think it's more so like it's the type of performance that if it's a less competitive year. He's gonna. He would. He would have steamrolled. Well, and he won the Golden Globe, and that was sort of at a moment where I remember there was an era there where the Golden Globes would, in their supporting categories, they would match with Oscar on one of them and not match with them on the other, and that was sort of like how it was. Like Brad Pitt would win for Twelve Monkeys, but not uh, at the Oscars, and Edward Norton and for would a win while, like for Primal the... Fear, and yeah the like comedy lead actors would not be nominated like Jim Carrey twice, George Clooney. Yep. Yep. Um, and Cruz won. And then like Kate Hudson and almost famous is another one where it's just like, they would give it to like, in many cases, like the starrier, you know, uh, uh, person. And then the Oscars would be a little snobbier about it. And, um, Michael Caine, and Michael Caine had already won, was the other thing. He had won for Hannah and Her Sisters, even though he wasn't there to accept the award that year. Um, I remember during the, when he was winning awards for Cider House Rules, I think at one of them he said, 
you know, I, I'm glad I'm here to, to accept this one because when I got the last one, I was making Jaws 3D. And um, uh, he was he gave some really good speeches that year. I remember when he won the Oscar, he sort of took a moment to say something nice about all four of his fellow nominees. And the thing he said to Tom Cruise, he was just like, uh, you should be thankful you didn't win this. Do you know what supporting actors get paid? Which I thought was very cute and funny. Um, so he was very charming for that. But... Uh, yeah, so Cooper did have his little moment there as a SAG nominee, but in general, um, uh, American Beauty. I remember even there was more. It seemed like there was more talk of like Wes Bentley and American Beauty than there was of Chris mm-hmm. Cooper at the time, which is interesting to think of in retrospect, well, especially because so much of what becomes cringy about American Beauty that isn't problematic is about like Wes Bentley and the paper or the plastic bag and what. Yeah, I was gonna say he did. He did like communicate the most beautiful thing he's ever seen. <laughs> oh man. I am. I'm just going to have to, I'm going to do it. I'm going to jump in. I'm going to watch American beauty again. It's gonna happen. West Bentley and American beauty just grew up to be a shitty John Wilson. Basically <laughs> just like filming random things. You know, it's, I think about my dog. This is so off topic, but like literally sometimes I'm like walking, walking my dog down the street. And the other day she got distracted by a plastic bag. And I was like, Daisy, is that the most beautiful thing you've ever seen in your whole life? <laughs> <laughs> and then your dog was just like, stop comparing me to that. Movie. How, <laughs> yeah. how dare you? She was like, please. Um, one of the other things I sort of jotted down, because I was trying to, you know, uh, put uh, October Sky in context, this was a Universal uh, Pictures uh, film, and I wanted to see what their awards sort of roster was that year. Their big success was The Hurricane, which, which feels- was supposed to be like a... It was originally positioned as, like, a Best Picture frontrunner. Well, and it was, I believe, at the Golden Globes. It was, like, Picture. I think Norman Jewison got a Best Director nomination, and... Denzel won uh, the Best Actor award there, and there was a lot of talk that he was going to win the Oscar, and that was going to be his second Oscar, sort of the narrative that that eventually did come to fruition with Training Day. And a lot of what happened with the Hurricane was this uh, sort of negative uh, press cycle about Reuben Carter and about did the does the movie sort of uh, gloss over his character, his crimes or whatever. There were like, I think there were like relatives of the victims and yada, yada, yada. And there was just a lot of, a lot of noise that I don't think it had, it had any sort of real substance to it, but I think the noise kind of turned people off a little bit. And ultimately, uh, Spacey ends up winning. (laughs) Interestingly enough, they went for the less problematic choice of Kevin Spacey um, in American Beauty that year. And Denzel would wait a few more years. But yeah, The Hurricane feels like an Oscar success that probably still fell short of what Universal wanted it to be uh, that year. Um, Their other movies, Chris, you mentioned Jim Carrey won the Globe for Man on the Moon and fell short of an Oscar nomination again for the second year in a row uh, this year. Uh, And then there were like The Story of Us, which was like a big old flopperoonie. which I saw, I remember at the time, I don't know why I was so interested in seeing the story of us. Um, I guess I was very into, I guess I was into Michelle Pfeiffer at the time, but like, it's Bruce Willis, right? It's Bruce Willis and Michelle Bruce Pfeiffer? Bruce Willis, Michelle Pfeiffer, divorce movie. Right. Like, what, I, it's such a weird pairing to think of them 
I don't know. It's such an it's odd casting. I that's what I'm just gonna say. Bruce Willis and Michelle Pfeiffer do not project as a married couple to me. I don't know. Well, it's this weird era of Bruce Willis serious leading man that like the Shyamalan movies work, but everything right. else. Yeah, ninety nine like Disney's the highs and the lows kid. of ninety nine for Bruce Willis, uh, Sixth Sense, and also the story of us. Um, and then of course, Chris, the movie that we desperately wish we could do for this podcast but cannot because it got a cinematography nomination. Uh, Snow Falling on Cedars, another movie that exists as a title. Have never seen it. Have never seen it. Have never seen it either. (laughs) From what I understand, it features a lot of snow falling on cedars. What? Yeah. Ethan Hawke, I guess, right, though? Yeah. uh, It's supposed to be a snooze. Yeah, it's supposed to be a snooze. Wow. Sorry. Ethan Hawke plays Ishmael Chambers and Reeve Carney a.k.a. Broadway Spider-Man, plays young Ishmael Chambers. Okay, Reeve Carney as a young Ethan Hawke is not the craziest thing I've ever heard. No, but I just didn't realize Reeve Carney was like... Was in things that long ago. Yeah. Yeah. A baby he must have been. My God, he like... God, that's crazy. Broadway Spider-Man indeed. Um, All I have to say about Reeve Carney is when he showed up as Tom Ford in House of Gucci, <laughs> I, thought you were I <laughs> laughed in the theater and nobody understood why I was laughing. It was amazing. What a moment. Um, I also love, I said this on Twitter, I was being a bitch. Um, I loved that day that Tom Ford like released that statement about how House of Gucci wasn't very realistic or whatever. And I'm just like, of all the fucking people, first of all. Tom Ford, director of Nocturnal Animals, that, like, you come across so well in that movie. Like, they literally, like, put a halo on your head as, like, the savior of the Gucci brand. And they cast you as, like, the prettiest boy in the world. (laughs) Like, my God. Yeah, and also sort of, like, ahistorically cast. And, like, I mean, he he did say, but, like, the timeline is all messed up, so it, like, is, like, more flattering to Tom Ford, I'm pretty sure. Yes. Also, um... He did it. It was a. It was not just a statement. It was an article in Graydon Carter's airmail. <laughs> <laughs> I also just love the idea of walking out of House of Gucci and being like, "That wasn't very realistic." <laughs> like, okay, that's what you got out of House of Gucci, huh? Like, well done, congratulations. Um, God, all right. Good job, Tom Ford. All right, anything else that we want to talk about uh, October Sky before we uh, move into things like the IMTB game? For me, I think we've covered it. I really, I really wanted to get my Billy Elliot theory out there. I really wanted no, to get my theory. theory. I really wanted to get my theory that this would be a bad movie in two thousand if it was made in two thousand twenty-two <laughs> or whatever. I couldn't, for the life of me, figure out who the mom sounded like, but she sounded like somebody else who was familiar to me. That like whatever uh, like whatever version of the accent she was doing, I was just like, this sounds so familiar to me, and I can't I can't place it because I definitely have not seen that actress in other things. So like I don't think it was that, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I will say I also it's just like there's something that I really liked about like rewatching that movie that also there's so much that's done so subtly, like including as I mentioned the cancer storyline with Miss Riley, Laura Dern's character, but even like the sort of like little romances that Jake Gyllenhaal's character Homer Hickam have like it's not that like oh he's got some like great romance with a girl that's like gonna shape his life it's like he's got cute uh-huh. little, he's got like cute little flirtations and he like 
clearly fits with, like, one of the girls at the end, but it's not really, like, a major plot point. He's just, like, he's into, like, he's into the girls and, like, but that's not, like, a big deal. It's just, like, no, the Rockets are a big deal. He likes Dorothy. She's nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I did have that sort of thought, too. It was just, like, a lesser movie would have felt the obligation to sort of put in a obligatory romantic subplot and have him like have to like fight off the jock boyfriend or whatever. Yeah. Fight off the jock boyfriend or like, she'd be like, I believe in you. You can build a rocket type of thing. And it's like, no, it's just like there in the background. And that's like very nice. Like that. It's just not so many of those details are just sort of like threaded in where it's like sort of just like painting the fabric of this kid's life without like hitting you over the head with it. He's just a boy standing in front of a rocket asking it to shoot straight up in the air. (laughs) Yeah. That's all he's doing. I also, okay, the one moment, and not to be like whatever cinema sins about it, because I think it's fine, but I loved the part where, you know, they get in trouble because they're blamed for starting the forest fire, even though it wasn't their fault. And they decide they're going to give up on rockets forever. And to do this, they take a Molotov cocktail and throw it at their little shed. (laughs) And I'm like, boys, you could have just, like, kicked it over or something. Like, first of all, you got in trouble for starting an unnecessary fire. And now you're throwing Molotov cocktails into nature? Like, what are we doing here? I laughed so much at that. I I thought about that, too. I was like, uh, this is more fire. Yes. (laughs) Like, what you don't need now is more fire that is, like, way less controllable because you've done it with, like, a giant jug of moonshine or whatever the fuck. Like, that was amazing. Um, I also liked the scene where they go and they steal a piece of train track for for the metal that they need. And then they realize that, like, after they've done that, that, like, oh, right, we could derail a full train and sort of have to panic and try to get the the train to stop and it it, uh, changes tracks and whatnot. It's fine, but... Uh, Yeah, the other thing that just, like, plot-wise, sort of similar to the whole thing with the girls that I liked is that, like, they don't really, like... They don't pretend that, like, maybe they're not going to win the science fair, you know? Right. Like, <laughs> right. there's yeah. no, like, bo- both the, like, local and the sort of, and the state, uh, the uh, cu- countywide or whatever the second one is. Like, they don't yeah. pretend it's, like, like, yeah, there's, like, like, that his stuff gets stolen and he has to, like, you know, he, the guys help him rebuild the nozzle or whatever. Right. But it's, like, there's no real, like, they know that, like, you're watching a movie about this guy. He's going to win the science fair. Like, they don't belabor the point where you're like, he, oh, no. Like, it's just like, yeah, he does it. It's, like, more about the emotional sort of, like, journey of getting there than it is about, like, are they actually going to win? Right. There isn't, like, the, like, well-funded kids from the Charleston High School or whatever yeah. that, like, are there and, like, we can't beat them. Look at them. They have all the resources. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um. No, that was wonderful. And, again, it saves the the moment for, like, that like those looks of awe in the people are watching the rocket go up. Like that's yeah, the, exactly. That's the moment. Yeah, good movie. Thank you, Esther, for choosing this movie. This is a good one. I was glad we talked about it. Yeah, me too. All right, do we want to play the IMDb game, Chris? Sure. Every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game, where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try to guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television, voice-only performances, or non-acting credits, we'll mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles' release years as a clue. If that's not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints. Love that. That's the IMDb game. That's the IMDb game. All right. So, Esther, as our guest... Uh, we are going to give you the option for, do you want to 
guess first or do you want to give first? And then also, who do you want to guess or give from? So um, I'll give because I'm a coward. Uh, right. <laughs> um, and also because I had like a reasoning, which is like a self-promotional re- reasoning. <laughs> I love it. For... Um, for choosing because I was like looking through your list of people you'd done and I was like who do I write about in my book that you guys have not <laughs> done um so I picked Sharon Stone um because you guys sort of shockingly have not done her I, um, it's surprising and, so do you want to have me or Chris guess um I would like Joe I want you to guess all right so um, I will guess from Esther then I'll give to Chris and then Chris will give to you okay all right, cool. Okay, so Sharon Stone, I'm going to guess that Basic Instinct has to be one of them. Yeah. All right. I'm going to guess Casino. Mm-hmm. All right, now here's where it gets difficult. Okay. Um, part of me feels like one of... Either Catwoman or Basic Instinct 2 is going to be on there, but I don't want to guess either one. Of them yet. <laughs> but like, I, I, I'm holding it, I'm holding it in reserve because I feel like the fates are are strange. Can I way. give like hints, like if people are on the right or wrong direction or no? Uh you can if you want to be like normal. Like, well, like uh, don't hold we, on to those. Like, you're good. okay. <laughs> All right, good. <laughs> um, <laughs> Oh, and also, uh, none of them are television or none of them are, are animated voices, No. Right? Okay. I'm going to guess then Sliver? Yes! Ha <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, so one more. Sharon Stone. All right. I'm going to guess Total Recall. No. No. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. I'm going to, do I do another one of her like 90s sex thrillers or is there something more sort of modern and kooky? Um, I'm going to say, oh wait, what was that movie called? Shoot. Um, where it's her... And Stallone. What is that called? No. Is that Assassins? No, it's not that. It's not Assassins. Okay, so what's the year that I'm missing? Because that's too strange. It's 1995. Oh, okay. So the same year as Casino, she did. Is it the Flintstones? No. It's she's no, not actually in the Flintstones. She's not in the Flintstones. Halle Berry plays a character named Sharon Stone in the Flintstones. Thank you. Um, 95. Can I give you a hint? No. Yes. Yeah. Give me a hint. Um, I was just gonna, like, (laughs) it's a, it is a lesser work from, like, a pretty significant director. Um, but not, like, a... Like a sort of a genre director. Oh, okay. Um, but it's not the genre that this director is mostly known. For. Is mostly known for. So he's sort of stepping out of. Uh... Yeah. All right. Stepping out of a genre that most people don't make movies of. Okay. 
So it's like a, is it like a horror director doing non-horror? Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, oh, no. I was going to say um, she didn't end up starring in, uh, uh, I don't know, wait, that was Madonna anyway. I'm thinking of uh, of Music of the Heart, and that was 99. Um, horror director stepping out of horror. Um, so it's not horror, so it's not the Diabolique remake. No, it's not okay. horror. It's not horror. Uh, I feel like I should be getting this by now, and I'm not. Um, I don't know. It's a weird movie. Is it? It's not Wes Craven, though, right? No. 95. Is she the lead, or is she like... She's the lead. And I think... And she actually really wanted to make this movie. Like, this was, like, a big push for her. It's not the one where she's on death row, is it? No. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um... She really wanted to make this movie. It's a horror director. It's got a crazy... No. No. It's got a crazy cast. Can I list some of the cast? Yes, do so. Gina Hackman, Russell Crowe... Oh, Quick and the Dead! Quick and the Dead! I'm stupid. Of course it's that. That's a good one. I'm glad that's on her IMDb game. That's a weird movie. I like that movie, Quick and the Dead. Good for her. Yeah. All right. That was a good choice. Good job, Esther. All right, Chris, for you, I uh, jumped into the Joe Johnson filmography, and I picked somebody from Jurassic Park 3, who I don't always <laughs> uh, think of as being in this movie, and then I'll watch the movie, and I'm I'm pleasantly surprised that he's in it. Uh, it is Alessandro Nivola. Ah, the wonderful uh, vocals from uh, Laurel Canyon. However, I'm guessing Laurel Canyon is not in there. However, this is incredibly difficult. <laughs> it's a tough one, I will say. This is a challenge. Uh, I'm just going to say it, Laurel Canyon. Not Laurel Canyon. Strike one. One of his best. Um, yeah, he's really good in that. Face Off. Yes! I always forget he's in Face Off, so good job Sensational. remembering that uh, what's his? What's the Troy's brother's name? Pollux. His name is Pollux sure. Troy. <laughs> Absolutely, sure. Why not? Soft boy of the Troy family, I would say, also. Yeah. I also always remember him from Junebug. But uh, Junebug is definitely not there. Um, What did we just talk about him in A Most Violent Year? But he's not, that's not there. Right? I feel like none of these are there. Oh, I know, I know. The Neon Demon. Good guess, because that has showed up for somebody before, but no. So that is strike two. So your remaining Damn. years are 2013, 2017, and 2021. 2021? Yes. Something that... Oh, um, the Sopranos movie, Many States of Newark. Yes, correct. Many States wow. of Newark. Wow. I know. It's surprising that it's already there and is known for. Yeah. 2013 and what? 2017. 2013. Let me make sure that the 2017 was actually released in 2017, but yeah. Okay. 2013. Is it an Oscar movie? Yeah. Is he like one of the billion? One of the billion people in 12 Years a Slave? No, Um, but go along the lines of one of a billion people in. Yeah. He's in a movie with a lot of people. It's American Hustle. It's American Hustle. Yes. Is the 2017 movie... 2017 movie did not actually get released until 2018, I'm pretty sure. 
Hmm. So it's not an Oscar movie. No. But it's either like international or premiered at a festival in 2017 then. Yes. Yep. You may have seen it at a festival, actually. I saw it at a festival in 2017. You may have. I can't remember whether you saw it or not. I definitely did. What did I see in a festival in 2017 that didn't get released until the next year? He's kind of unrecognizable in it. It like it took me a while to realize that that's who he was. That's who this Oh, was. it's uh he's really good in this movie. It's Disobedience. It is. Yes, he is very good in that movie. Yes. Uh Rachel Weiss and and uh and and Rachel McAdams uh in Disobedience. Yes. Yeah, it took me a while into that movie. Is that the one, Esther, that you would have had trouble? Uh, no, I honestly would have had trouble with Face Off. Okay, that's the one for me, too. I would have been Yeah, like, because like, yeah. for some reason, like, I have just very distinctive memory. Like, like when I think of him, I really think of him in that movie, and oh, I'm on his IMDb page, but I can't remember the name. Um, uh, what's that guy? Uh, he has a movie at Sundance this year. Um, it, it's the martial arts movie. Um, oh, Art oh. of Self-Defense. Art of Self-Defense. Yes. Uh, which oh. <laughs> I, but like that and like but the more recent things like I do think of him as like an American hustle disobedience yes. and obviously he's many so Saints good of Newark. I feel like many Saints of Newark is just like his biggest role like ever maybe yes yeah, so. yeah. he's, such he's a good the one actor. on the poster of that right yeah like he's the sort of like he's the focal he's the, I, I don't know if you guys saw he it it's good. like he's the he's the lead of that movie he very is. expressly like yes um what a handsome face on that one my gosh. Good um, singing voice, too. Yes. All right. So, Chris, you are going to quiz Esther. Okay. I'm very stressed. I play the right. game a lot by myself, but I'm, like, so bad at it. I went through many different teens, some of them in connection to uh, the actors in this movie. But, like, 99 is kind of a weird, like, teen and preteen Oscar year. But I went with a more obvious one. Uh, I went with Thora Birch. Thora Birch. Okay. Um. American Beauty. American Beauty, correct. Um, now and then. No. Um, oh, I guess that too. Uh, Ghost World. Ghost World, correct. I. Uh, oh man, Thora Birch. Um, I was like my brain struggling for like. Baby Thora Birch. It is a pretty... You're missing a pretty iconic one, but we don't really talk about it for Thora Birch. Something iconic that we don't talk about for Thora Birch. People talk about this movie every year. Every yeah. year. Oh, um, ca- um, uh, 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 oh my god. Um, I almost said Halloween Town, but it's not that. It is... Um, <laughs> it's the same fucking thing. I... Uh, Sarah Jessica Parker and Kathy Najimy and all of them and I would normally say you have it, but this is a movie you have to say. I know I have to focus, 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 focus. It's focus, focus. Oh my god, focus, focus, focus. Yeah. Um. Okay. The fourth one. There's one more movie, but you haven't guessed another wrong answer yet. Oh, so I have to guess another wrong answer in order to get. The hints. Um, Thora Birch, Thora Birch. Um, 
Honestly, I may just give it to you because there's not a whole lot of movies. Um, I mean, like I can tell you right now, Monkey Trouble is not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, I don't. I need something for here because I'm just like coming up a complete blank. Uh, I'll give it to you. It's 1992, so it's the year before Hocus Pocus. The year before, so and she's I'll a say kid. she's playing the daughter of an iconic character. She's playing the daughter of an iconic character. Or maybe more appropriately, a formerly iconic character. Like, this is, they've tried to keep this character being, you know, a character we care about and we don't. Yeah, it's one of those characters they keep rebooting in, like, different movies and, and in one case, a TV show. Is it, like, um, a Jack Ryan movie? A movie that you've probably forgotten was directed by Kenneth Branagh. One it is of the a Jack reboots. Ryan movie. It's yes, a Jack. It's that. a Jack Ryan movie. Yep. Yeah. Um. Oh my god. From 1992. So, I'm trying to remember which are the Jack Ryan movies. I get all these. I get those dudes confused. Um. It's not like <laughs> Somerville Fears. That's not a Jack Ryan movie, is it? It is. It I is. think it is, but that's the Affleck one. That's the Affleck one. This is one of the Harrison Ford ones. This is one of the Harrison Ford ones. Um, oh my god. It's kind of generic. It's like It's super generic. That's the problem with Jack Ryan. You can't place yeah, any of them. Yeah, I like no I like I also like haven't seen these movies. Like I have not seen the Jack Ryan movies. Like <laughs> they're I'm just going to come out they're and bad. say like I'm not going to see it. I like but it's like they they all have titles that are like that that are just like Yes. Ugh, Cold War, I'm scared. Um, Basically, yeah. This one's, I mean, I say we, I, I say we yeah. give, give it to her. It's Patriot Games. Patriot Games, yeah, I would have never gotten that. I would have never pulled that yeah. out of my ass. Like, I got close. <laughs> I got Jack Ryan. Yes. <laughs> but... You I got to find that to know. I got to find that sound clip from Can You Ever Forgive Me where she's uh, trashing Tom Clancy. I hear they got Tom Clancy 3 million dollars to write some more red baiting propaganda. Lee, my morning has been long enough already. He's a fraud. What's your point? He's drinking sherry at your party. No self-respecting writer would drink sherry. Oh, Lord. Yeah, yeah. I have never seen... I have never seen... No, I have seen a Jack Ryan movie. I saw the Chris Pine Jack Ryan movie. The oh. Kenneth Branagh one. That's the Kenneth Branagh one. Yes. Amazing. Oh, yeah, and he's in it, too. Did he direct that? He directed that. And he's yes. also in it doing like a crazy Russian accent. Yes. Of course. Classic. Of course he is. Yes. Classic Branna. Um, good job. Well done. Good IMDb games all around, I will say. Yeah, that was fun. This was fun. Yeah, this was good. Thank you, Esther, once again for joining us for this really fantastic episode. Uh, I'll say to our listeners, if you want more This Had Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Esther, one more time, tell our listeners about where they can find you online, where they can go uh, pre-order your book that is out uh, in February, and all of the all of the necessary information that they're going to need. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at easywrites, um, like writing on paper 
Um, and <laughs> or on the internet. Um, you can read my writing at Thrillist. Um, and you can buy my book, Beyond the Best Dressed, a great for Oscar lovers. And also thank you to Joe immensely for his amazing collection of past Oscar ceremonies, uh, which was very helpful writing this book. Um, <laughs> you can find it sort of anywhere you buy your bookstore, you you buy your books, um, uh, Indie, Amazon. Barnes and Noble, you can find it runningpress.com. Um, we'll have everywhere where you can buy it. Excellent. Uh, also, shout out to friend of this head Oscar buzz, uh, Nick Davis, who was the person who transferred his VHSs of the Oscar ceremonies to me <laughs> and gave them to me so that I can distribute them to my friends uh, as needed. <laughs> um, uh, love you, Nick. All right, Chris, where can the listeners find you and your stuff? You can find me on Twitter and Letterbox at Chris V. File. That's F E I L. Excellent. I am on Twitter at Joe Reed. I'm also on Letterboxd. Both cases, it's Joe Reed spelled R-E-I-D. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility. So climb on out of the coal mine and write something <laughs> nice about us, won't you? That is all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz. Bye. Bye. Everyone's a winner, baby. That's so loud. That's so loud. You never play.